Hello and welcome to Handelsbank and Insights. I'm Sonia Rothwell. On this week's economic update, we're going to dedicate the entire podcast to try and unpick the latest developments that have followed the government's mini-budget on September the 23rd. Joining me is James Sproul, UK Chief Economist at Handelsbanken. In the last podcast, James, we were talking about quasi quarting as Chancellor. We've now, incredibly, got a new Chancellor in the shape of Jeremy Hunt. And on Monday, he executed an almost complete reversal of the tax cuts that had been announced by quasi quarting in his fiscal statement. And events, I'd like to say, are, are moving very fast. We're recording this on Tuesday, but who knows what they're going to look like by the end of the week. Talk us through what happened on Monday. First of all, let, let's talk about Jeremy Hunt a little bit. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, um, obviously a, a very, very experienced politician. Uh, he was health secretary for quite a long time uh, under both Theresa May and Boris Johnson. And then um, he was foreign secretary as well. He's probably from the, the center left or the, the one nation side of the conservative party. So he he very much uh, is somebody who, who believes in both prudent fiscal policy, but, but also probably is reasonably well attuned to the needs of, of poor people within society, et cetera, as well. So he's he's very much a centrist. One of the the issues that I think had annoyed a lot of of MPs and and maybe some of the supporters was that Liz Truss, when she had come in, had really only appointed people who agreed with her. And uh, she's now been forced to take on somebody from the other main faction of the Conservative Party in the shape of Jeremy Hunt. So so this is all going to be very interesting. And Jeremy Hunt has clearly come in and he's in a very powerful position. Uh, Powerful because the Chancellor is always powerful, but particularly powerful because Truss has so uh, obviously made some errors and those errors and given Jeremy Hunt the ability to say to her, if you want me to join your government, I really need to have things my way. So what was his way? Now, a number of things happened. One, of course, was that there was a realization that financial markets were very uncomfortable with what was going on in the UK. And they weren't necessarily uncomfortable with tax cuts per se, but they were very uncomfortable with the idea that they were just going to borrow to, to afford those tax cuts. And so there needed to be a much greater balance between all of this. And, and that's absolutely what Jeremy Hunt is bringing in. So he's putting up those taxes, um, so, for instance, uh, already well-trailed the, the, the idea that we would drop the um, 45% tax rate for, for very highest earners. Uh, that's back on, so that, that remains. We will also see uh, a number of other things. There was an income tax cut, which was due to, to come originally in 2024, had been brought forward to 2023, and it's now not going to happen at all. And so that's, that's uh, clearly 20% will be the, the long-term rate. The big one that actually remained, which was also very interesting, uh, there was a, a rise to national insurance, which took place this past April, April 2022, uh, which had come through. And Liz Truss had said, no, that has to come off. Now, that's actually quite a lot of money. Uh, and um, that's important because, so, so for instance, here at Handelsbank, our forecast for the UK economy, we had uprated our forecast on the basis of that tax cut because it takes quite a lot of money out of people's pockets. And if, if the tax cut hadn't taken place, we were looking for a recession coming towards the end of this year at the beginning of next year. Now, we're still going to, of course, look at our GDP forecast very, very carefully um, as a result of the budget, which is now still still going to come on the 31st of, April, uh, 31st of October. So we'll have to review things then. But for the moment, at least the big one that was going to take a lot of money out of people's pockets, that didn't come through. One of the other key takeaways from from the news on Monday was that the energy price cap, which of course was one of Prime Minister Liz Truss's key achievements since she came into office, now that is is going to change, isn't it? Can you talk us through how that's going to look going forward? Sure. So originally, of course, uh, she had said that there was going to be a, uh, a cap of twenty five hundred pounds 
for the average household. Now, that's not, of course, doesn't mean that you won't spend more than £2,500. It's a cap on the unit use of energy. So if you use a lot of units, you will pay more than that £2,500. But the average home should be about £2,500. And it's important to remember that's still a doubling in the cost of energy for um, lots and lots of people. So it's still going to be more expensive. And that's important for the government because they want people to use less energy. They want people to conserve a lot. And so uh, the market mechanism is thought to be to be able to work if, if people see a, a doubling of electricity bills. That is enough to get them to turn the temperature down and to uh, put on a jumper. But, and there's some key, key differences here. Originally, um, uh, Liz Truss had promised that this capping would last for two years. In other words, really through the next election. Uh, now it's going to run through next April, so for six months, so through this winter. At that point, it will be reconsidered. Now, a number of things come into play. Would they really, if, if there was still some sort of ongoing energy crisis, would they really, uh, at that point, uh, turn people over and say, you're just going to pay the market price for, for electricity and, and heat? It's arguable. Um, but the whole point is, it's not a guarantee any longer. So uh, residences are going to receive the same guarantee that businesses receive. Businesses only ever receive a six-month guarantee. And that's now going to be the case for residences as well. I think it's also worth saying that we, we don't know where the price of energy is going to go. So there could be a saviour in the fact that the market does change and and energy prices steady. It's also worth saying that you were talking about Jeremy Hunt earlier. He's put himself forward as, as a kind of green politician. Absolutely. As you point out, Jeremy Hunt um, is, is quite concerned about some of the environmental implications of where we are as a, as a planet right now. To be honest, I can't even really understand the reason why, but there was resistance to the idea of having a public information campaign on using less energy. And so I think that's that's now going to happen. Uh, and it's also, as you're pointing out a, a moment ago, there's some interesting stuff going on here as to how much energy is going to cost. Now, of course, the price of energy has come down a long way. And the original estimate as to how much this energy price cap was going to cost was done in August when energy prices were very high. Since then, we've seen a, a big falling away in the cost of energy. And so the original estimate is it could cost anything up to 150 billion pounds. It's probably going to cost a good deal less than that. But the government, one of the mistakes they made with, with the quasi Quartang's um, fiscal statement was they didn't put out a renewed estimate as for the cost of these programs. So people went the only figure they had, which was, in fact, in many ways, an exaggerated figure because it, it assumed the very, very high cost of August would, would prevail and that there would be no demand side response, i.e. people would lower the temperature of their houses and put a jumper on. And clearly, uh, neither of those uh, assumptions are safe. People are going to be conserving energy and uh, the price has already fallen away. Now, we don't see a resolution to the uh, Ukrainian crisis anytime soon. And therefore, the idea that we're going to you know, have nice, cheap energy flowing uh, come next spring is, is hopeful, but doesn't really have very much of a basis of, of that hope at the moment. So we'll have to see how things progress. But certainly it's a, a, a situation where there's an enormous number of moving parts and they're all moving quite quickly. Now, one of the other things that is, is up for discussion at the moment is something that I know that you're really interested in, and that's quantitative tightening. Well, of course, it has been happening since um, the 7th of March this year in, term, in terms of passive quantitative tightening. In other words, when the bonds that are part of the asset purchase program, originally the £895 billion pounds worth of bonds, when they expire... The Bank of England simply doesn't take the money and reinvest it. It just lets it run off, run, run off, and it lowers the total stock of money. So it just lets the money supply come down very, very uh, a bit. And um, we've been doing passive QT, as I say, for about six, seven months now. Uh, the idea, of, originally, of course, was to have active QT. So start not just letting bonds expire, but selling some of the stocks of bonds. And that was going to happen from the 1st of October. But um, given the market turmoil, it was clearly not possible to do it at that time. And the Bank of England had to go back into the market and start doing more quantitative easing. 
now what's going to be happening going forward. Interestingly, the last monetary policy report, whilst there was division um, between what how, how high interest rates should go, one member voting 25, um, the majority voting for um, 50, and a couple of people voting for 75, there was unanimity that the program of quantitative tightening should continue. So there's a lot of support within the Monetary Policy Committee to continue with QT. What's that really going to mean in practice? I think, and this is simply my own forecast rather than any sort of you know, Bank of England leak or anything like that, that the um, uh, quantitative tightening is going to have to wait for common market conditions. And those common market conditions are unlikely to happen uh, much before the new year. So uh, in theory, they're going to start again in the beginning of November. But of course, we've got the budget right at the end of October. So that will be a period in which the markets are very likely to be volatile. Um, and maybe in December, um, they will have just, uh, beginning of December, they will just have the um, Monetary Policy Committee meeting um, where we are expecting them to raise interest rates by a full 100 basis points. Um, and it may well be that they, they decide actually the first of January, that first week of January is that the calm time in the markets, it does tend to be very quiet time in the markets, that's when we will start um, uh, quantitative trading. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that uh, QT getting pushed back. It's also worthwhile noting that the UK was actually at the forefront of people uh, undergoing uh, quantitative trading. QE had been undertaken by the European Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, uh, other, other countries as well. Um, and But winding it down uh, is something that we have been very much at the forefront of. So the fact that we're not being quite so much at the forefront uh, isn't like we're, we're falling behind anybody because we had actually been quite a bit ahead of them in, in, in that movement. And you mentioned the Bank of England when it resumed quantitative easing, and that was to help gilt markets, which, which as we know, were, were at frighteningly high levels. It looks like that jeopardy is, is abating a bit. But do you think that the Bank of England is going to keep a watching brief on the gilt markets after its interventions? Oh, without question. Um, there's been a lot of focus on the level of sterling. I don't actually think the Bank of England is particularly fussed about the level of sterling other than the um, importation of, of inflation that it might bring with it, which is not particularly, um, not as significant as, say, energy prices or, or, other, or other factors. So I don't think that the Bank of England um, is going to be intervening to try and keep sterling's uh, rate up. It is intervening to keep some semblance of order in the gilt market. That's They really do care about that. There was one point when uh, gilts in the last couple of weeks when gilts had been yielding more than Italian treasuries, which is to say that their, their bigger possibility of, uh, of defaults in gilts issued in sterling as opposed to Italian bonds issued in the euro, a country currency over which they have no control. That gilt rate is really, really important for the, gilt, uh, for, for the UK government. Now, if the gilt rates go up, um, it costs us more to, to finance our debt. And nobody thanks politicians of any party for having to spend more on interest payments because it's not actually providing anything more for the welfare state. It's just uh, you know, what the, the price you have to pay to investors to, to uh, finance your government, which is it, it feels a lot like uh, money down the drain. I hesitate to ask the next question, but I, I really want to hear your thoughts on this. But what will you be watching particularly keenly over the next week, given that it's such an unpredictable market climate? Um, I think there's a number of things. One of them will clearly be guilt rates and, and what's happening there. And you know, do those things, do we start to, to reassert some some sort of normality in that? Um, I think that, you know, when we'll, we'll be seeing more stuff coming out of, out of the, the Treasury and um, Chancellor Hunt will, will undoubtedly be setting up more uh, of his longer term program. And that longer term program will undoubtedly have much smaller deficits. It may even move into some sort of uh, primary surplus in the, the short to medium term. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the UK government becoming very, very good indeed, uh, fiscally, uh, very, very prudent, uh, very, very quickly. Um, 
And, you know, there's lots of questions around longer term political leadership here in the UK. And, and the Prime Minister Truss has taken a big, big hit. She's lost her chancellor and arguably she's lost her, her economic raison d'etre. Can she recover from what looks to be a fairly precarious position? Thanks as ever, James, and thank you for listening to Handel's Banking Insights. If you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. You might also want to share this episode on social media. I'm Sonia Rothwell. See you next time. <laughs>